Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I need rest. <laughs> uh, there's an intention behind me sitting, but I may explain that later on. Uh, today in the Christian calendar is what is called All Saints Day. Uh, it is a day that often Protestants, uh, perhaps like us, um, pass over as something other traditions do. But I thought it'd be good this morning, and this is not part of my sermon, for us to consider that there are people, men and women, who have greatly influenced, encouraged, and shaped the people we are today. Some of them we've never met, we've heard of and read of in books. Some of them have been our teachers, our pastors, our Sunday school teachers. Some of them have been parents and grandparents that have prayed for us. Pastor Ryan and I were sitting there, and he was saying to me, this is my favorite day in the Christian calendar. And he has a tradition. I, I'm sorry that I'm sharing it on his behalf, but, you know, I'm taking liberties. He's still new. Uh, he said, on this day, I call professors and influences, and he was reflecting on the imp impact that his granddad had on the person and the man he's become. I wonder before I change up what I was going to say, I changing this morning to something different. If you want to just take a moment to think about someone that you want to give God thanks for, someone that has been instrumental in your life, someone that has incarnated for you the grace of God, someone like my mom who, when I woke up in the morning, heard my name being brought before the throne of grace, and when I was in my teens, boy, did I need a praying mother. And would you hold that before you and give God thanks today for the faithfulness of those who've gone before us? Would you give God thanks for the faithfulness of those who have demonstrated for us what it means to follow Jesus? And would you now, as you do that, uh, embrace this invitation to recognize that there is a generation of children and young people that are looking for those saints amongst us, those men and women who will remain faithful to the Lord in seasons that are difficult, those kinds of people whose faith does not waver when the going gets tough, who becomes sweeter even in adversity. And may God grant us the grace and the faith to be such people. Amen. Would you pray with me as I prepare to share with you from my heart this morning from Numbers chapter 14, and I'm going to read 10 verses. But before we get to the scripture, let us pray this prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Numbers chapter 14, reading from verse 1. That night, all the members of the community, that's Israel in the desert, raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. 
or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephune, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> Sometimes it's really sucky to be a leader. And then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. There is no going back to pre-COVID. There is no return to what once was. As I think about this pandemic and what it has brought to our world, I recognize as I think more and more about my own perspective of things that there's a part of me that wants to go back. And there's probably a part of each one of us sitting here this morning that feels the same way. I had initially intended to preach on Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, but felt impressed this morning to change, so I offer that as both an excuse for not a great polished sermon, but also perhaps being obedient to the leading of the Spirit. Israel is in a liminal space. They are kind of leaving the desert, but they are not quite ready to enter the promised land. Liminal places are hard places. They're in-between places. They're places that brings difficult things to the forefront. Liminal spaces are things we encounter in our own lives all the time when something changes, when something gives way, when what was known is no longer known, when we move on, when relationships end, when jobs come to an end, when we are confronted with failure. Liminal spaces are a part of Christianity since we've read Scripture. It has been a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Even Jesus himself would not be spared from the wilderness experience. In fact, some way smarter theologians than me says the cross was a liminal space uh, for Jesus himself. We, we as human beings all experience this, whether we are religious or not. We go through moments in which we are thrust into places of uncertainty. And I think this pandemic has exposed some things. It has shown us, it has taught us that as Christians we stand 
not as those who should be unfamiliar with this kind of experience, because as we read our scriptures, we recognize that there are times where we find ourselves in the hard places, the uncertain places, the places we've never been before. Moses had just sent out 12 spies into the promised land. God instructed him to do this, and God said, send them so that they can figure out some things before you enter. Here's some of the things they were supposed to do. They were supposed to uh, see if the enemies were strong or weak. That's a good, that's a good uh, little bit of intel. <laughs> uh, they are to, to check whether the cities were fortified. They were to count and see how many actual fighting men, how many tribes, how many people are in this land. They were to see if the land would be fertile, if the land would be a good place for them to go. They were even to check if there was any trees. And then what happens after 40 days of spying, a very significant number in Israel's own journey, these spies return to the camp and there's two reports. Uh, Gregory Jones, who I've been reading in a great little book he's written, says there's the majority report and the minority report. Ten out of the twelve says, yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but I got to tell you, the enemies are big and their cities are strong. We are best not to go. <laughs> and then two out of the twelve they say, yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey, and we can trust God because God is with us. Uh, but the people listen to the majority report, not the minority report. They listen to the, the way that social media has told us all what to think. They listen to the loud voice, the fearful voice, the voice that makes them wonder whether God, in fact, is with them. And what happens is they begin to become bitter and resentful of Moses, their leader. They start blaming him, and they develop a let's go back to Egypt committee. They look for a leader. As was thinking about what to share with you, I thought to myself, one of the questions that the text elicits for me is, who am I listening to <laughs> in the desert? Whose voice has my attention? Who's the loudest? Whose voice is inspiring fear and a sense of wanting to just return to even that which is not good for me or for us? I think in this particular season of life, it is really important that we are discerning as God's people and listen to the right voice. Perhaps I could reframe that for us. Are we listening to the voice that does not instill fear? The voice that says to us, the church has been in tough places before. Christians have gone through liminal experiences before. We have been in the desert before, and we have not known what was coming but God is with his people even in those places. Or are we listening to the voices that say to us, be afraid, be very afraid, make decisions out of fear, retreat, turn back, go back. When I've been talking with different people, I've said to them over the last several months, I've said, you know, we're living in an apocalyptic time. I had someone walk into my office a few days ago who 
when I asked who she was, she explained she was a prophet. And I don't say this disrespectfully, but she had read the signs around and said, man, it's all coming to a head. And we had a good conversation. And I thought about some of the perspectives today. There are Christians who are reading the signs and saying this is the end. But when I read Scripture, I find that there's a different meaning to apocalypse or as we have translated it at the end of our Bible, the word revelation. In fact, the word apocalypse itself, it, you know, kind of has this, 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 this meaning that goes beyond just talking about a scary end. It has this, this unveiling understanding. It's like pulling back the curtain. It's like revealing things. And so I've said to people, this is an apocalyptic time, but dear prophet, this certainly is, but perhaps not for the reasons that some people think it is apocalyptic. Perhaps this is a season like it was for Israel where God is allowing some things to be seen that is otherwise hidden. That God is allowing us to kind of peek and see what is there when life is too busy is covered up. When life is too secure, we don't want to deal with. When life is the way we like it, and we keep going on and on and on from one thing to another and one deadline to another. You know, some people have said to me, they said, Stu, you know, when we went into lockdown, I didn't really know what to do myself because I, I'm always doing stuff. The deserts slow us down. Liminal places wants us to pay attention. That's what is there that God wants us to see. One of the things that I think it has done for me is it reminded me of my mortality. I just performed two funerals over the last week. I'm reminded that I'm not as impervious as I think I am, and I know what you're thinking. Man, you're solid. You're strong. You're probably going to hit 120. But it's reminded us all, isn't it, isn't it true, that it's reminded us we are frail. As advanced as our culture is, and as much as we know about medical science, we are all now afraid at the first sniffle we have or the sore throat. It has reminded me that there are some things that God wants to teach me and, and sometimes can't teach me when I operate as if I am God. And so I think there's a grace in this. I think there is a redemptive work of God present in this season. I think that God is wanting to slow us down so that we can start to pay attention to the things that we often overlook and don't want to be confronted with. Can I say some straight things to you? Can I get an amen, Pastor Ryan? Some relationships need restoring. Some things in our lives need healing. Some priorities need shifting. You see, we can see this all as a terrible time, a time of 
upending things, or we can see the way that I think God postures his prophets to see. That in the wilderness, we can become hungry and thirsty again for the grace of God. In the West, we are not taught to see the wilderness for what it is. We are tempted to say, get us out. Make it better. I wonder this morning if you are listening to me as I share this to you, that you are starting to sense perhaps that this season is not as wasteful as it feels. It's not as barren as we think it is. That this is the opportunity, the moment, the time for God to shift some things that for whatever reason cannot be shifted when life is as we once were accustomed to. I think there's a few things that has been unveiled. Not only that we need to be attentive to some of the relationships and the priorities of our life, the things we're chasing after the neglect of our relationship with God. But this pandemic, along with the injustice that we've experienced in this world, has revealed to us that all things are not equal. I have lots of followers on social media. I'm very, very, you may call me an influencer. <laughs> I saw a post a while back, a person said, it's one of my friends. I have good friends. I have friends who don't agree with me, by the way. You know, sometimes we think we only have to have friends that agree with us. That's folly. You know that, right? You'll always be right, and you'll always actually not know when you're wrong. One of my friends on social media posted a post, and it said, I'm just tired of all this racial injustice stuff. Can people just get over it and move on? And someone posted underneath that, they said, can you imagine how tired it is for people who have lived under systemic racism all of their lives? You see, for some people, going back is okay because it means a return to a status quo that was comfortable. For others, it means I don't want to go back because I don't want to be a slave in Egypt again. I don't want to live in a system, in a world, in a kingdom in which it is easy for others to turn a blind eye to my suffering. I want to say this to you as the church. Let us not neglect what God is trying to teach the world through this particular season of life. That there is a sin in wanting to go back to the ignorance of what we are learning right now. That the Spirit is speaking to the church and inviting this church to stand up for that which is right not only for our sake, but for the sake of the least of these. If this is an apocalyptic time, it is revealing to us the brokenness in our world. It is revealing to us the heart of God for those on the outside. It is revealing to us the need for the church to pursue the work of God in the present here and now with all the optimism and hope that comes from the one who says, in the desert I am with you and I will lead you to where I have promised to take you.
And so there's an invitation in the text. There's an invitation that I've been thinking about a lot. There's actually three. That's what Riley Coulter told me in homiletics, have three points. The first one is stop looking back in fear. Trust God in the present and for your future. Egypt is a place of slavery. It becomes appealing when things get difficult. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. My grandmother on my dad's side, I called her Mama. Uh, she was one of the most influential people in my life. Praying grandmothers, man, they are, they are the things that kingdom is made of. <laughs> she, she loved with big hugs and belly laughter, you know. Um, she was awesome. But I won't forget the day we were talking about, she was visiting me in Toronto here in Canada, and I, I, I was talking to her, and she said to me, she said, Stu, she said, you know, uh, you know, we had it bad under apartheid, you know, under all this racial stuff, you know, but it's so bad right now. I, you know, I, I almost wish we could go back. I was told to respect my elders, and I love my grandmother. And I uh, didn't quite have the articulation, the ability to say to her what I have now since been able to say to myself. Going back to a past in which it was better for some but not for others is not the way of God. Returning to a place of favor for some but Injustice for others is not the kingdom of God. I also sense that today um, Christians are more affected and influenced by what they fear than what they have placed their hope in. Pulpits that pronounce everything we need to be afraid of without locating our faith in the one that has overcome Satan, sin, and death, to which all God's people say, Amen. Do you know that the vision, the vision of where God is taking all this in Revelation is one that we need to hear. We need to be, we need to be drenched in it. I want to read it to you. Revelation 21. Just listen to these words. Then I saw... This is where God is taking everything, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. Listen, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Come on, are you getting excited yet? I'm halfway through. Are you feeling this? Are you seeing this? Are you perceiving the end that God has? He says this, they will be his people, and God himself will be with 
with them and be their God. And listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. Where's the hallelujahs this morning? Or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said this, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Listen, I, I don't know what tradition of faith you come from, but the tradition that I come from, not that we are perfect. We have a hope-filled eschatology. We believe that in the end, what God has said he is now doing through the church, he is renewing and restoring and bringing to pass all that he has planned. And we are invited to participate in such renewing work. In the desert, don't lose focus of that which is promised. Don't lose focus of that which our hope is secured in. Friends, it's not in governments and it's not in policies. It's not in our ability. It's not in our intellect. It's not in who we are as a denomination. Our hope is secured in the one that the revelator says sits on the throne. The one who gives us our hope. Don't look back in fear. But don't allow the wilderness to make you bitter and resentful. There's so many people right now that are just angry. You know, when we become bitter and resentful like Israel, we look for someone to blame. China. When we become bitter and resentful, it's always somebody else's fault. And what we do is we spend an awful lot of time on trying to locate and blame and pinpoint without focusing on that which is promised. It's amazing to me that when I read this text, the spies come back. Even though there's two different reports, the reports have the same description. There is a land flowing with milk and honey. But those who have heard about the challenge and the hardships that they will face cannot conceive of that because they are afraid of what they've heard and they cannot see what is promised. How you believe the world ends or how you believe where God is taking all of this will influence how you live today. Are you bitter? Are we resentful? Are we scapegoating people? It's so much easier to blame somebody else without kind of taking personal responsibility somewhere. I mean, do you, have you ever, have you ever, you know, I'm not gonna name which kid this was, but you know, they were growing up and they were kind of fighting. Past this kid's fight, apparently, too. And I stumbled in, uh, you know, some karate moves that had already been executed. And I said, uh, what's going on here? Uh, he kicked me. And the response was, but you kicked me first. The one who kicks first gets the blame, right? It's amazing to me how that 
in the culture we live today, there seems to be a lot of um, wanting to justify the way we react to others because of how we feel right now. Do you understand, my friends, and I join you in this, I, one of the things that I've, I've, I've learned the hard way is that whenever I start to preach at you, the Spirit is putting his thumb right on my heart saying, hey, buddy, it's for you. I wonder if the Holy Spirit would kind of enliven our minds and our hearts in a different way that we would stop looking towards explanations for why we are where we are and begin to apprehend the calling of God even in this season. I want to go on. I'm being really long. Don't allow the wilderness to make you bitter. I want to also encourage you to remember that God is with us even in the wilderness. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of practical atheists. Uh, we, 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 we tend to run our lives as if God is not there. I think it's Dorothy Day who says, I want to live my life in such a way that it only makes sense that God is there. <laughs> you know, we, we, we're self-reliant. We think that it's just up to us. If I could just figure this out, if I could just work it through, if I could just pray more, let me just say to you that we as a church uphold a deep belief in the presence of God by His Spirit with His people. Contrary to everything you may feel, perceive, and read, online or elsewhere, the Word of God says this, He is Emmanuel. He is with you as He is with me. No wilderness is beyond His presence. No promised land is without His grace and His presence. God is with us. Even in the wilderness, how will that change how you live? How will that change how I live? How will that influence how we feel this day about all that we are enduring? He has not stopped walking with us. Our text reminds us of this graphically. It says that the glory of the Lord came upon the tent of meeting. And even though the people experienced, saw, observed this, they still wanted to go back because their fear of what was told instead of the very presence of the God who manifest himself so provocatively to them was not enough for them to move forward. Then I want to encourage you with my final point, live toward the future that God has promised. Christians are to be people of lament and hope. You know what lament is? Lament is the ability to look at the world honestly and say that it is not as God has intended. There are some Christians who say, let's just pretend it's all about heaven. You know what Jesus teaches us to pray, and we're going to pray that as I close. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what the vision of Revelation is? That heaven will come down to earth and that God would dwell with us. 
So when we look around us and we look at the world and we see that it is not yet what it is, we lament that. We are not Christians who just say, oh, you know, one day we begin to participate in the redeeming, renewing work of God today. Where there is brokenness, we step in. Where there is hurt, we help. Where there is healing needed, the church is part of the healing work. We bring hope to the hopeless. We bring victory to those who have been defeated. We bring joy to those who are mourning. We comfort those who have experienced loss. We learn to love honestly in the brokenness of a world that is being made right by God through His Spirit and His church. We lament with those. We cry at times. We mourn at times, but never in a despairing way that says this, there is no end in sight, for we know the one who has overcome will renew all things. And therefore, as we lament, we reach out in hope and in faith to the God who uses ordinary people to restore his broken world. Hebrews chapter 12, I close with this, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thanks be to God. The final words of my grandmother when I escorted her through the security, uh, or up to the security uh, at uh, the Toronto Pearson International Airport. Uh, she turned around and looked at me. It would be the last time that I would see her on this side <laughs> of the unresurrected life. And she said to me, Stu, remain faithful. Those words... shifted something in me. It started to build within me a, um, an anticipation that there's going to become, there's going to come times in which it's going to be hard. But then I think about my grandmother on this All Saints Day. She raised three boys and one girl on her own in apartheid South Africa. When she was just a young lady, she was getting on the bus and the bus took off without her being inside the bus completely and uh, mangled her leg. She limped for most of her life and her husband died when he was very young. But there was a grace about my grandmother in a world that saw her as a second-rate person. 
She had all the rights to complain and say, you know, things are just not fair. Do you feel that way sometimes? I do. Okay, I got a good list. You know, it's my pity list when I come to God. I was like, God, you know, I, I deserve better. I've been through a lot. But there's something amazing, amazing, amazing about people that have walked well through the wilderness and kept their eyes on Jesus. There's something amazing about the church who goes through tough times. There's seasons. We heard yesterday, we heard yesterday that there's seasons of fruitfulness, there's seasons of growth, and there are seasons that feel barren. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Let me just say that to you as the church. If you're not feeling very fruitful right now, maybe God is teaching you to not put your hope in your production. You're not useful to him because you produce. He loves you. He speaks his word to you and me in the desert. He says, I love my people. And he invites us to be faithful. I wonder if you would want to pray this prayer with me. The disciples were taught how to pray by Jesus, and it is a prayer that we are all familiar with, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and worship team, I'm going to invite you to lead us in a song and just close uh, right after that. I won't come back up here. I've spoken all the words I can. But I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we pray this prayer together. And I want you to slow yourself down to think about what you're praying. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.